When we look at the Beatitudes, we are looking at different elements that are found in these eight statements of Jesus, and we've been calling them um, this climbing higher, the Beatitudes make for a better world. So today we come to the Beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes, you can divide them into two sets of four. The first set of four are going to be found giving us an explanation of people that are under the circumstances of their life. The first four Beatitudes then makes a promise that at some point in time, there will be a reversal of the circumstances from this rough set of circumstances that people are going through. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Now today we make a turn because blessed are the merciful for they shall see, uh, receive mercy talks about the kind of people in the world that brings blessing to those first four statements in the Beatitudes. So we might say the first four talks about people that are laboring under the night before Christmas that we just talked about. But the second set talks about the type of people that light the candle, that illuminates the hope that people can have even while they are laboring under their circumstances. So one of the things I want to clarify, because when we hear the word mercy, one of the things that I think we hear is something that goes along this lines. Um, the merciful are people that are not being given something that they deserve. In other words, it's something that's being withheld. So I don't know how many of you have heard this before, but there's often a statement that has circulated within Christian circles. And mercy is often contrasted with grace. Grace is being given what you do not deserve, that is a free gift, but mercy is not being given what you do deserve. So I understand the reasoning, and it's a good contrast, I guess. However, there's much more to this idea of mercy than simply withholding some type of retribution, okay? There's kind of an empathy and compassion element to this statement here, and I'm going to illustrate it for you in a little bit from a story that uh, many of you might be familiar with, maybe you might not, but I want to introduce it to you. So maybe a better way of thinking about mercy is not to tie it together with this contrast of grace. And here's why. In order for those two statements to work well together, you have to almost adopt a system of belief that kind of goes against what was believed in the time of Jesus. In other words, it's taking later theological concepts and kind of retro-pouring it back into the elements. What I mean by that is these two thoughts form kind of a theological system. And it kind of goes like this. And many times, this is the way we think of the death of Jesus. So God loved us so much, he sent his world his son into the world that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. And we recognize the act of grace is the act of forgiveness that God gives to us by, our, by His pure um, grace alone, we receive this gift of forgiveness. But the story also kind of goes like this, but God can't just forgive. He has to have some type of retribution and so Jesus takes all that upon him, and God lashes out on his son who is innocent so that he can forgive us. Now, that theological system is something that most Christianity uh, denominations kind of rest their hat on. The problem is, the problem is there's no mercy in that at all. Someone else is taking the beating of it. Mercy, I think, is an element that ha goes much deeper than that. If our understanding of mercy is only shaped by redirected wrath, then it doesn't lend itself very well in the making for a better world because somebody's always got to pay. Are you following what I'm saying? So all you're kind of doing is redirecting your anger, your frustration, um, your violence, your hatred, all these type of things. And I think what we see in our world is when wrath is simply redirected, there is no end to wrath. It just keeps going on and on and on and on. But if mercy was to be extended, it would be this idea of not only is sin taken care of, but now restoration is possible too. Sometimes bad theology leads to bad anthropology. And I think it can make us think that there are certain people that are not worthy of mercy. And that, I think, is a misperception. When we see God extending mercy upon humanity, there's no one that is crowded out from receiving that mercy. Mercy has much more to it than simply being tolerant or patient. It has this idea of expressing forgiveness and expressing the desire of restoration and reconciliation. And so when we look at the Beatitudes, we're not only looking at people, but we're also looking at God. Think of the Beatitudes this way. The Beatitudes, in many ways, characterizes for us the personality of Jesus, okay? The Beatitudes express not only the personality of Jesus, but gives to us a revelation of what God is like, too. So if God comes to us in the form of Jesus, then how do we perceive what that God is like? We look at Jesus, we see the personality of Jesus, we see the character qualities of Jesus, and we begin to associate the fact that Jesus is not just an individual that's human among us, but he is that which gives to us an understanding of what God is really like. So we might say, number two, we form our image of God from ourselves rather than Jesus most of the time, don't we? So when we think of God, we think just kind of an enlarged uh, person, of ourselves. In other words, it's us on steroids. No, 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 no. Jesus gives us a better portrait of what God is really like. 
if Jesus was merciful, and I think when you read through the Gospels, that would, that's what you see all the time, right? He is extending mercy to people, whether it's the woman caught in adultery, whether it is individuals that uh, he says to the Samaritan woman, go and sin no more. Uh, all of these type of things are elements that show the mercy of Jesus, not just upon individuals in his encounter, but it also gives to us an understanding that that's what God is like as well. So mercy is much, much bigger than this contrast to grace. It's a quality in and of itself that expresses for us that God himself loves giving mercy. He loves giving empathy. He loves giving compassion. He loves giving healing. He loves giving forgiveness. We might say that mercy is actively engaged compassion. Mercy is actively engaged compassion. Merciful people are people who are also engaged with the problems of the world and seek to find solutions to it. So when we think about merciful people in the world, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. There's a reciprocal element to it. That the more merciful we are to other people, the potential of mercy coming back around to us is there as well. If we are an individual that kind of directs our wrath and anger, our hatred, and all this toward people, what's going to come back around? Something more of the same. And so what we're finding in this beatitude is merciful people understand the absolute insanity of ongoing, escalating hatred and violence. It never ends. There's no possibility for what many people will say during this Advent season. May there be peace on earth and what? Goodwill to all men. That's not possible without mercy. Mercy is that which allows us to be able to have compassion and engage in forgiveness with other people and not desire to get even. Well, what do we do with justice, some people might ask, right? Well, let's understand that justice isn't this idea of me simply getting even. Justice is doing what is right. And so we find that in our world, when individuals do heinous things, sure, justice has to engage, and there has to be these moments where that person is held accountable, and they might serve a a prison sentence for what they've done. But on an individual level, the more we hang on to hatred, the more that we allow this hatred to sit inside our spirit, one of the things that will happen is that individual that has hurt us continues to live rent-free in our mind and continues to consume us and make our own lives miserable. And so sometimes people say, I just can't forgive the other person. I just can't do it. And that's a shame because if you can't give mercy to someone else, that at some point in time, you probably won't receive mercy when you need it as well. And so there's this reciprocal element to this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or we might say it, mercy upon mercy. What is the one thing that we all need, right? We all need mercy. We all need grace. We all need forgiveness. And what is impressive, I think, in this beatitude is if we only pursue justice, justice is simply uh, a competing ideological battle. 
Because what's justice in one person's mind is not justice in another person's mind, right? So sometimes people will say, okay, just do the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth approach to justice. But some people will say, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. We have to escalate. We've got to make that other person hurt. We've got to make them feel it. They'll feel sorry that they ever did this. Rarely does that ever work itself out where a person can come within themselves to be at peace even in the midst of all the darkness and hurt and heartache that this world directs. Maybe the better way to understand is maybe one reason that we can't extend mercy to someone else is because we don't know their full story. Sometimes we make judgments with partial information, right? And as we make that judgment upon another individual, we do so without fully understanding the weight of the burden that they are carrying. One of the things that Christmas helps us understand is by God entering into the genetic stream of the human race is that he experienced every component of life, every heartache, every struggle, every joy, that in all of this then becomes this source of help for us because in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a great high priest who's gone through all that we have gone through in our life. And he is there to be a source of mercy and compassion upon us as we carry the weight of the hurt and heartache this world deals out to us. God knows the whole story of every person. And so, in so doing, he is able then to extend mercy upon mercy. And that brings me to this. How many of you have ever seen the movie Les Miserables? Anyone? Okay, so I've seen this two times uh, as part of a Broadway play production, and I've also seen the movie. Let me set the scene for you for a moment, then I'm going to show you a video clip. So mercy is a little word that can make big changes in the life of an individual. And mercy at the same time can be life's greatest stumbling block. So in this stage production, Les Miserables, there are two main characters. One is by the name of Jean Valjean. He is broken by mercy and makes him a changed man. The other is a police officer named uh, Javert, and he is hardened, and he is legalistic, and he is unable to show mercy uh, to Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is an individual that is arrested initially because in the hardship of 
the, uh, of the t uh, history of France, there were many people that were starving, and one of them was his niece. And he went out and he stole a loaf of bread so that he could feed his starving niece. He gets caught, and he is thrown into prison for five years. But he makes the mistake of trying to escape several times, and that five years turns into 19 years that he serves in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. The guard uh, that is there is Aver, and he is an individual that, after Jean Valjean gets released on parole, that he is an individual that has this hatred toward Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean goes out and tries to find a job. And he's turned down by many employers because of the assumption, once a thief, always a thief. He couldn't get a job. And so he comes across this church. And the bishop invites him in and feeds him. And in the middle of the night... Jean Valjean decides he's going to steal the silver from the bishop and make his way into the night to see if he could get some money. And what we find is that he gets caught again. And that's where this video scene comes from. Let's watch. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. 
You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. So let's finish the story. So the bishop extends mercy to Jean Valjean. He could have easily said, yeah, he stole that. Justice. I demand justice. But that wouldn't have changed Jean Valjean's character. So Javert, the police officer, is an individual that wants to re-arrest Jean Valjean he is the other side of mercy. He's the world's most ardent legalist. Mercy has no place in his heart. In fact, he sees no place for mercy whatsoever in the justice system. So when he finally catches up to Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean has a moment to take Javert's life. And he chooses not to do it. Rather, he lets Haver go, and then what we find is Haver ex fully expected Jean Valjean to kill him. And a man who has been shown mercy shows mercy. Haver can't handle this, and at the end of the stage production, Haver says this, Who is this man? What sort of devil is he to have caught me in a trap and choose to let me go free? It was his hour at last to put a seal on my fate, wipe out the past and wash me clean off the slate. And all it would take was a flick of a knife. Vengeance was his and he gave back my life. But damned if I live in debt of a thief. Damned if I yield at the end of a chase. I am the law, and the law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. Haver then puts handcuffs upon himself, and rather than choose to forgive or extend mercy, he jumps off a bridge and he kills himself. And that's the end of this stage production. One individual receives mercy and it changes him. And as he extends mercy to someone that had chased him for years, he was an individual that could extend it 
but Haver couldn't receive it. That's the both sides to this beatitude. To be able to be merciful and give it, but also to be able to receive it. So before we take the Lord's table, um, I ran across this song, and I want you to watch it, because there's many different people in our lives that could use a little mercy now. Watch.
all can use some mercy now in all kinds of different circumstances and situations of life. And one of the things that Jesus did is he gave us different ways of recentering ourselves. And one of them is the Lord's table. And it is a moment where we reflect upon the one who gave mercy and those of us who have received mercy. And it's also a time for us to reflect that the kingdom of God is characterized by mercy givers and mercy receivers. But where there is mercy, there is also the need for forgiveness. There's a connection there in many respects. And there's an old, old tradition that goes back for centuries where you can see it on the screen. People come to a place where they say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And certainly, while we are sinners, we still are saints at the same time. That's a strange paradox. Our shortcomings do not nullify God's grace in our life. And what we find is that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And our role in the world is not only to learn to love well, it's also to realize that when we get into this labyrinth of life with many twists and turns to it, we'll make some wrong turns at times. And as we do so, we need some mercy. And that is true for other people too. The wrong turns that they've made in their life, just like Jean Valjean did. But we have to be willing to not only give it, but receive it. It's that double side of the coin. And so as we take the bread and the cup, let's remember that we have received mercy from God and from others, and that we need to give the same to others. We could use, all use a little mercy now. Pray with me, please. As we come to this sacred table, that holds a piece of bread and a cup. Dear God, help us to reflect upon the mercy that you have given to each of us. And by the bread and by the cup, may we indeed feel that sense of love and forgiveness, compassion and empathy, because you are our great high priest. And you understand the trials and troubles of life that we go through. We come and ask for you to meet us in a powerful and new and wonderful way here today. As we remember the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. Who was the embodiment of mercy. The embodiment of grace. And the embodiment of love. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So take the bread that has come around. And as we take the bread, which is a reminder of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, as a way of self-reflection, let's use this ancient prayer 
Let's recite it together, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's eat together. And we take the cup. The cup of sacrifice, the cup of servanthood, the cup of surrender, all of these things that marked the life of Jesus, that which enabled him to give mercy and become a high priest who sympathizes with us. So as this cup reflects his blood given on the cross so long ago, let's recite this ancient prayer again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's drink together. Stand with me, please. <clears throat> 